Um, welcome to another Alia Graphic Creator Chat. Um, got a bit different this time. We're talking to some uh, wonderful creators who are also uh, publishers of comics. Um, Bailey Sharp and Michael Hawkins uh, are two of the people who run Glom Press. Glom Press is a uh, risograph press and award-winning comics publisher. It's based out of Preston in Victoria, and as well as Bailey Sharp and Michael Hawkins, it's also run by Ben Ewers and Mark Pearson. Um, hi. Hi. Um, so, start off, um, uh, I'd like to uh, acknowledge the lands of the uh, Wurundjeri um, people of the Kulin Nation where I am. I think that's the land that uh, um, Glum presses on as well. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and um, pay respects to their elders past and present. Um, so welcome to you both. Um, do you want to start by uh, telling us a bit about yourselves um, and how did you first get interested in comics? Um, Who wants to go first? <laughs> yeah, um, I guess, yeah, I was uh, into comics as a child, um, you know, card, yeah, cartooning probably, yeah, my whole life. Um, then like in high school, I wanted to be more of a visual artist. Then I wanted to be to get narrative involved because so, I wanted to be a film director. Um, and then I kind of like discovered alternative comics and I was like, okay, I can be like a serious artist and be a cartoonist as well. And that was just the perfect fit for me. Yeah. I had a really similar, I didn't realize how similar maybe uh, <laughs> our trajectories were. Um, I only really got interested in comics when I was a teenager, but at the time I was um, like, I was always drawing, but I couldn't figure out an outlet for that. And I was making short films and thinking I would go like the route of um, being some kind of filmmaker, but um, then discovered, yeah, alternative comics and realized like, oh, I could tell the, like I relate to these stories in a way that like, I, you know, I've always been drawn to like cartoons and um, comics, but that was the first time that it was like, oh, I see like stories that I would want to also sort of tell in that kind of space. So, so for um, the people listening who might not know much about alternative com comics have only had um, experienced uh, exposure to mainstream stuff. What makes uh, a comic an alternative comic? What's the difference there? Um, uh, well, I know, I, I guess it's one of those things where it's really, I find that it's really the mainstream comics that are very specific just because superheroes dominate the genre so much. So alternative comics, um, you know, can it can be pretty much anything else. Um, you know, like um, you could compare them, I guess, to like Hollywood movies versus underground or outhouse movies. If you like, I guess that'd be a valid way of people to understand it. But other than that, you know, it's a huge, huge diverse range of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It would have been like self-published stuff initially, probably, you know, in the 60s, 70s, like mm. when underground comics really started. But now there are main, there are what I would call, I guess, mainstream publishers, like fanographics, like maybe not mainstream, public, big publishers that do publish alternative comics um, now. 
for the last like 20 years or maybe a little bit more, but um, yeah, I agree. Like just anything outside of um, a sort of the big wheelhouse, like the big DC Marvel um, kind of canons, but there are all kinds of streams of different kinds of alternative comics that are really different, really different flavors of like storytelling and art. Yeah, so lots to explore for, for people who aren't already across it. Um, so that's comics. How did you both get interested in publishing? Because it's uh, both talking about being creators. What what had you interested in making that jump across to publishing other creators, helping other people get, get their work out there? Um, I, I guess I only really started at the point of Glom Press other than, you know, like editing a few anthologies, like zine anthologies. But I guess, yeah, it, it just happened fairly organically with Glom Press because like me and Mark bought a Rizzo machine. Uh, we're using it for our own work. Then we started doing print for high work. And then it just seemed like a natural step to start uh, publishing other cartoonists as well. Yeah, and I was in a block of like a set of um, books that they put out in 2018, I think. And I knew Mark and Michael, um, like we all knew each other. Um, but um, Ben and I, like we're partners, we were living in Sydney at the time. And we came down when Mark and Michael were printing my book and we all sort of um, worked together to just um, print and found that it was um, harmonious, like we could do the work without without just talking and just being friends um, and hanging out. And so that kind of um, planted the seed that like maybe Ben and I should come join Glom um, and turn it into a four person operation. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's started to give us a bit of a background into the history, but what, how did Glom start and why? So you said you had these, um, anthology zines all of that where were you promoting them how were you getting them out there um what did your role as a publisher look like probably um, for michael a bit if if you were the one that uh, if bailey and um uh ben came in a bit later um yeah so i guess um you know the zines and stuff we've done previous to glom press but uh, I, I guess the idea with Glom Press was that, um, you know, there, there are other sort of small run risograph presses in the world, uh, publishers in the world, um, and we just felt like uh, that, that was something that Australia could need because, um, um, yeah, there, there was this gap that we mentioned a lot between the zines like self-published zines and graphic graphic novels which is uh, there's still not too many publishers in australia that publish graphic novels but yeah that involves getting a professional deal getting a contracts on so forth so there was that i feel like there was that you know we thought there was that gap there and that there was a lot of people that were between that place where they weren't quite applying to publishers yet, but they'd done a lot of zines and like, um, you know, we could easily identify people who were in that stage in their artistic development where doing a longer story or doing something that's slightly more professionally presented would really, yeah, be an advantage to them and would be really interesting to see. Um, so, you, sorry, Bailey. 
No, I was just gonna say, yeah, like, um, I mean, both of us, all of us, all four of us are really involved in the zine scene. Um, and like, I think we met around zines originally and, um, you know, going to zine fairs and um, me and Ben co-run um, Other Worlds, which is a Sydney um, zine fair that you know, used to happen annually. We've had it on hold the last two years, but, um, but yeah, like we, we really come from that community and most of the people that we've published are also pulled from that same community. Like they're all self-published artists in their own right. Um, who aren't just, you know, shopping things around and waiting for a, a, a huge publisher to like swoop in. Um, but then, yeah, we can offer this sort of like this mid-tier book that's, you know, a more substantial book than a, than a zine, but, um, but still like we, we're all sort of tied to that DIY ethos, like, um, you know, so we're kind of riding the line between professionalizing things, but keeping it very, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the books are just handmade um, by us. We just have, you know, um, pieces of equipment that, that help us make them more of a, you know, we can perfect bind them with a glue binder, um, things like that. But um, they're still quite zine-like in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah, and just kind of extending, like, as Bailey said, you know, we're big into the zine fairs and stuff. So that's kind of like the starting point for us. Um, and then I guess we're just trying to ex extend that and like, yeah, into the extend that into putting them in, in shops, um, shops overseas, that kind of thing, where it's like, it's kind of hard to, to, to do if you're just a zine public, if you're just like putting out your own zines, it's kind of hard to put like the admin into getting that reach and getting like shops, uh, engaging with shops and stuff. Yeah, so I, I knew that you had a um, connection with zine fairs. I, a lot of the stuff that I was, when I was looking at background of Glom and stuff, a lot of the stuff that was coming up was stuff with Festival of the Photocopier. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that you've been involved with a bit. Um, do you do much with places like Sticky Institute, all of that, like um, work with them, or is it a bit a bit more separate and just the same sort of the same people involved yeah, I mean, we have a real relationship and I think, yeah, like Festival of the Photocopier is always like a high point of the year for us and we always, you know, we'll plan releases around it. Um, yeah, keep it in mind a lot. So we love being involved in that. Um, and, uh, yeah, unfortunately it didn't happen this year. Unfortunately, we, we had the online version earlier in the year than the, what was going to be the, um, the in-person version in August had to be cancelled. Um, Bailey volunteers at Sticky though, so maybe you could elaborate on that more. You used to. I used to. Um, but yeah, I think our relationship with Sticky is really good. You know, they they're like very um, warm, nice zine people, and um, stock the books, promote the books. Um, we've we've always had a, I think, um, slight worry that um, the work that we do put into the books may pop them outside of the zine like we don't yeah. you know we we want to make these books that yeah like michael's describing can go into bookstores and are um, a little mm. um a little meatier than than what you know a 24 page zine but but we don't want to also like step too far away from that because we really like that culture and sometimes mm. it can feel like it's like oh is this still a zine you know is it is it mm. truly but um Siki have always been really supportive of us and um, we've used their photocopier quite a lot to um, like to put out a book um, 
Mir Slosberg um, had um, a title, I'm gonna get the name wrong, um, Guide to Guidebook to Queer Jewish Spirituality. Um, and that was a Rizzo cover, but um, black and white inside um, printed just on Suki's photocopier for a long time. Yeah. So um, the publisher, you've chose to call it Glom Press. What's the significance behind that name? Um, uh, it was just, yeah, it was just one of those spontaneous things we came up with because me and Mark had like, you know, they we're trying to think of a name and we had these pages and pages of lists and all these like long five word names and acronyms. And so I, I think, yeah. And then I think I just said once we need a name that people can uh, glom onto. Um, and it was just one of those moments of, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I guess hopefully we hope people can glom onto our comics. Um, it's also good having a really short word that's easy to say if you have to say it a million times to each other. So definitely uh, something in there for um, for the marketing people out there in libraries <laughs> working out working out how to do stuff like that. So yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, there was a a gap in the Australian publishing industry um, that you felt um, wasn't being met. Um, what was it that made you realize there was this gap? How did you, how'd that come about? And what made you realize you were positioned to help fill it? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it was, that was, a, that was, um, more Mark's idea. I have to credit him with that. Um, but I guess identifying it is just from being in the Australian comics scene for a long time. And you kind of see that, oh, there's people working in zines, um, and there's not that many Australian publishers publishing comics. And it seems when all our friends and colleagues and people we've worked with, when they were getting big enough to take that next step, they were going overseas. Cause you know, yeah, you essentially had to like move overseas usually to the US to, to really, you know, build any relationship with publishers and, and so forth. So I guess, yeah, that was just apparent to us that was there, that that was there. Um, and I guess just by virtue of having risograph machines, we thought maybe we could, uh, you know, try, try and address that in our own uh, modest way. Yeah, because I think especially there, there are three artists who we're thinking of are kind of as contemporaries in the sort of same pool, Simon Hanselman, Tommy Parrish, Lee Lai, all of them have left Australia. Um, and had great book deals with um, Fanographics and Drawn and Quarterly, but um, like I think the most recent sort of success story I would say of this like project might be that like Rachel Ang is an artist who um, Glam published in that first set of books that they brought out. Mm -hmm. um, she has a book Swimsuit mm -hmm. and that off the back of the strength of that, that got um, sent to or shown to publishers at Drawn and Quarterly, which is um, based in Montreal. And is one of the big alternative comics publishers and she's now got a two book deal with them and that's kind of what we were trying to do is that yeah, absolutely. had she made that here as a zine or you know just published it herself would it ever have made it over to drawn and quarterly you know maybe um not trying to denigrate the work not saying like we played some huge role in it but i i think like that is yeah. what we wanted to happen like is that um 
people in Australia, like here, it's just another way of distributing their work, getting attention to mm. their work. Um, and then if they, you know, make that leap to a publisher, maybe they don't have to leave Australia now necessarily mm. to do that. But. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that was always part of the plan and hopefully it'll happen again is to, um, yeah, get that attention to the book. Um, yeah, I think also the role we play in that is the, um, I'm not sure how many of the 12 books we've published exactly, but most of them are generally works that the artist made once once we made the offer. Um, and a lot of cartoonists generally, if they're just self-publishing zines, they're not, you know, really gonna to, to make a to just off the off the bat, just make a you know, hundred page two-color comic, because it's just too ambitious. It, generally, if you if you want it, if you want to if you're paying yourself to get it published and whatnot. So um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's part of this thing of like, we'd like so-and-so, like we'd like to see their, a long story by them and, you know, like we can instigate that and then they have that long story and then they can take that, um, yeah, to, to move forward in general with their creative development and their career. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned swimsuit. That's one of the I'm just looking at it right now on the shelves that I keep right by my desk. Um, uh, I I really like it, and it's one of the comics that I uh, regularly use as an example of the variety that's out there within comics. Um, but what you said about Rachel Lang publishing that, getting the deal with Montreal, all this, how much of a role do you see yourselves having long term working with artists, and how much is them moving on to bigger publishers an important part of the the journey that for them um, it depends on the artist really i mean i don't think everybody has that same goal and mm -hmm. so so we wouldn't be like you know i don't think everybody sees this as like a stepping stone to a bigger publisher necessarily mm -hmm. um but i do think um i mean we we just want to put out like yeah we just want to put out work that maybe wouldn't exist otherwise or mm. wouldn't exist in this mm. format um and hopefully like for some people that helps them um you know get if they, if they want to take that somewhere mm. um, it's there but we're you know we're also making it to enrich the scene here mm. so i don't want to pose it too much as like a pathway um to yeah, somewhere else. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. yeah absolutely like it's just very to, to exist in itself and like for the books to be made and read um, in their own right is, you know, like that's like the the, the main point um, or the, the first step, I guess. Um, but yeah, in terms of relationship with artists, I'd say we do um, differ from a lot of public, uh, uh, from bigger publishers in that like a, a bigger publisher might, you know, sign up an artist and put their book out and they might want to put another book out and another book out and kind of have that relationship with the artist where, you know, they're in a sort of stable. Um, and we we might want to, we might work with artists multiple times for sure. But yeah, we, we don't really need to keep them as our artists because it's like, we know that, you know, th there's a limited amount of like copies of the book we're going to publish. We're only, you know, going to do a number of copies in the hundreds. So we wouldn't expect an artist to like stay loyal as one of our stable or anything. It's more, a, yeah, a, yeah, a more temporary or yeah, casual, casual, I guess, like artist publisher relationship. 
we don't we have um we have loose contracts i suppose um because we give advances but um we don't we try to be as like hands-off as possible it's not like we um take like people have brought up the possibility of um shopping around their books um after we've run out of our like as michael's saying after you know our print runs inevitably um because it's so um it's so hands-on making the books um and it's a it's such a labor-intensive process with um where we have to do the printing sort of all at once um so once those books run out um you know at, people have asked us um you know can i shop it around to potentially another publisher um and we're totally happy with that yeah we want as we want as a little like kind of um we we, we don't want to own anything we're trying to you know it's a community sort of um rest I, I think so still even though you're starting to move away from that zine level still very much that zine culture behind it of, yeah. of um creator owned creator um controlled yeah absolutely yeah and that's in you know you know contracts such as they are is yeah absolutely 100 percent. you know artist keeps the rights and everything yeah so what impact has COVID and the lockdowns in Melbourne had on Glom Press? Um, I'm guessing it's been harder to to get the books out there to to make the um, connections with the with the creators um, that you're working with. Um, what's that looked like for for you as a publisher? Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, it's really complicated. There's all sorts of ins and outs to it. I think. Um, yeah, the initial struggle we had was we we're about to release um, uh, our last set of books, our last set of six books in uh, 2020. Um, and yeah, obviously that went pear-shaped um, and we had to delay it. And we, you know, some, some artists were struggling to complete their books because, you know, of all, all the extra uh, complication and stress that was put on everyone. Um, but yeah, so that ended up in a long delay, and we did end up, but we did end up publishing them um, earlier this year, and we were just really lucky that we were able to um, put them out between lockdowns and find find a venue that had a really good capacity and was yeah open for events. Um, yeah, so I guess that's the most significant way it's affected us. Uh, I don't know, can you think of anything else, Bailey? Yeah, I mean, yeah, to that point, we were so lucky. We're some of the few, like, I know so many people who have put out books um, in the last two years and not been able to have any in person. Um, so it's we just got this, like, really lucky window um, where we could have a launch. But, um, I mean, it's affected, like, now this current lockdown, um, Ben and I, live um over 10k from or over 5k from um Glam press which is in preston and mark and michael live um like the press is in their house so they've they've got access all the time but we haven't been able to come work for you know two and a half months now or something like that and it's been that way it's been on and off you know the rules allowing us to come and do stuff there so that's also like we've got books in production now we've got um a lot of print jobs that glom is taking on and it's all mark and michael um they're the only ones who can do it so it's kind of um put a lot i think on them ben and bailey are doing a lot of admin from their end though so write yourself up too 
<laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting Bailey mentioned the print jobs because we do print for hire as well. Um, and I, I guess one positive note I've noticed recently is we've been really super busy during this latest lockdown. So I guess, I don't know, maybe like Melbourne artists are getting very good at being in lockdowns and um, getting really productive. Um, also the other Melbourne Risograph presses, uh, the other main two, um, Helio and Tree Paper Comics, and I, as far as I know, shut out of their studio. So. That's not such a positive note. But yeah. That's why it helps to live, to have the press in your kitchen. Yeah. Yes, I can. I can definitely relate to that. I'm uh, I'm out east, and I've got um, surrounded. You can't see because of my background, but I'm surrounded by boxes of of books from the library that have been rerouted here, so I can catalogue them and then take them in once lockdown ends. So. Um, yeah, very, very weird times. Um, so happy to hear that you guys are, are still able to, to function reasonably well. Um, yeah. not, not so great about the others, but um, yeah, it's great that you guys have been able to, to continue through it. Um, now, as far as publishing itself goes, um, I've seen, seen on, your, on your website some of the stuff that you're offering um, it, it takes a takes a wide range. You've got some um, uh, perfect bound books, so um, what you traditionally think of as a paperback, and and that's what libraries would usually be looking at collecting. Um, but you also I've seen publish a few saddle stitch, um, so that's with the staples um, in the in the back for those who who don't know. Um, uh, and circulating libraries tend to be very reluctant to add things that aren't um, either proper hardcover or perfect bound paperbacks mm -hmm. um, because of um, the ease that they can get damaged. Um, do you have any tips for librarians who might be looking to add these sorts of materials for their collections about um, looking after them um, and just how to, how to manage them in the collection? Yeah, it's hard to say really. I mean, we do um, focus um, for the other artists we publish, uh, we, we focus on the, the, the perfect bound books just for that reason, because it's like not just libraries, but bookshops as well, um, are much more amenable to bring in like anything with a spine. Um, yeah, how to take care of them. Yeah, I mean, that is hard, especially, yeah, especially um, with risograph because that can very uh, the ink can rub off sometimes and yeah that that kind of thing but yeah I, yeah I, mm, I really don't know because I don't know what sort of like um yeah techniques or um yeah uh, uh, uh like whether librarians have used like plastic sleeves or what kind of covers or protectors they use but yeah yeah some of, some of the books have been, um, I've seen them laminated. Like yeah. We have some, I can't keep track. It's been, it's been the work of like very lovely librarians who've reached out to us and put the books um, into their um, uh, collections. And um, I've seen um, that they have laminated the outsides um, to help get around that problem of the Rizzo ink because it's a little bit like kind of dusty. It's not totally stable that coming off. Um, I think it is a real big problem. 
Um, yeah, in terms of like the saddle stitch and zine stuff, I mean, I know um, I haven't gone to, but I've, I've heard of the um, massive zine collection um, in like the state library, um, which is, but, but it's not public, it's just in boxes. And you go in and you have to go in with gloves and, and look through the boxes and <laughs> which is not like a you know that's like archival not browsal yeah. but so well um, i think um from memory i think you can browse it but it's a um, research request thing so they'll they'll um make it available to to anyone but you have to um put in the the request first i think yeah, yeah i guess that might be because they feel like if people were looking through them every like every day or if they were in a lending library that they'd be damaged i suppose but yeah um so yeah and the and the state library sits in a in an unusual position where they're trying to collect um the archival record of of victoria um in that way for for all forms of of publishing and um and zines and um small runs and stuff are are an important part of that. So um, I think it's really great what they're that they're engaging with this this aspect. Um, and yeah, so um, you said as part of this, um, what you've seen was because libraries have reached out to you. What relationship um, do you have with um, with libraries, both as publishers and as um, creators yourselves? Yeah, I've, um, I mean, I think we just don't, don't really have one at the moment. We'd like to, I think it's just been a big oversight. Um, cause we've been unsure of what to sort of do, like how to go about that. Um, but we would love the books to be, especially the, um, you know, the sets that we put out and like Michael says, it's, it's really the, the, um, books that we publish for other people, um, primarily or all have the perfect binding. So, um, we'd love to get them into libraries um and we know some librarians and that's um you know or, or have you know friendly relationships with some librarians and, and that's the only way it's happened so far is just mm. um you know them being really proactive so we we really probably need to get on it and be proactive but, yeah yeah but if any librarians are watching this and want to contact us uh, it is most welcome um yeah, well, that'd be your and um, so that's both as as publishers and as as creators yourselves. Um, uh, do you well? Do you see a difference in in the relationship that you have with with places like libraries, bookstores, all of that, um, as creators and as publishers, or is it kind of the same for both? I mean, I think to what Michael said earlier, or I, th I think this is what you're alluding to, Michael. Maybe is like. If, if I, you know, me as a creator, if I go to a bookstore with my single book, um, you know, even if it's perfect bound, like, like, there's just a, there's a real barrier to like, maybe, maybe I could stock it, you know, it's not, it's not like people don't go and stock their self published work. But I think just having just coming to someone as a publisher already like sets up some kind of professionalism or, or um, some kind of system in which like, you know, it's, it's easier to see like how we can negotiate getting them into bookstores or getting them into libraries. Um, I, I would think that's like, I, I feel like that's for the artists we publish. I can't imagine a lot of them like approaching a library with their own self-published yeah. work. So hopefully 
that is something that yeah we should be um, yeah um, mm -hmm. and yeah just like yeah definitely because we're a publisher and because we're offering like a collection I, I assume that makes a difference to people because it's like yeah it must be you know like it, it, I guess it'd be less attractive for them to like have to have this admin and this conversation with all these individuals um whereas like you know it's it seems like much yeah much more worthwhile and easy for them to like have like this relationship with with an entity that can give them you know like half a dozen books a dozen books and that was part of the reason for um i mean this is when the press was still just run by mark and michael but the first set of books the reasoning behind creating a set of six um was in part to like get them into bookstores so that you're not approaching them with a single title Mm -hmm. um, but instead a set and that you know seem you know it's it seems to have worked we've gotten in bookstores um but i imagine that that might have played a role in them accepting it is is that they are not just stocking one single weird thing that's different from the rest like it's its own little mini section like you know six books is quite quite a lot and is that why you've continued that with the because this is your um this latest set of six was a new set um on that so was that the reasoning behind continuing with that that set yeah yeah um yeah that format worked really well for us so we thought yeah we'd do that again um in future like the things we work on now um are a little more ad hoc because i feel like now we have that like yeah that th those two collections behind us so we have have like those established like a dozen titles at least plus a few more so i think now we're we're loosening up a bit and we're contacting artists just like yeah more here and there and like doing different formats of books and different types of books and um looking to to what you're doing in the future um where do you see the, do you see yourself yourself staying in this um, this area, or do you see expanding into into other areas of different different styles of um, publishing, all of that, or yeah, how do you see Glom going forwards? Yeah, well, we don't. We try not to look too far ahead because I think you know we're quite a small operation, so um, you don't want to. Plan, have, have this grand scheme all planned out, but we usually, you know, just a little in advance of like, oh, what can we try next? What we can try next? And it'd be like, um, you know, different, 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 slightly different ideas and approaches or somewhat different ideas and approaches, but I guess still within that same level of publishing for the foreseeable future of that kind of mid-level. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about things now about what we might do down the line. Um, that's a little bit different, trying to mix things up a little bit more, I think, like to Michael's point about we're taking on more single title books that are going to have their own, you know, the set are all the same dimension. Um, but, you know, the single titles are going to be, um, you know, whatever the artist wants and um, trying out slightly different things and um, but but all within within the same with the same kind of goals and ethos and print run roughly. Um, yeah. So, 
Earlier this year, uh, you Glompress, as a company, won the Platinum Ledger at the recently renamed Comic Arts Awards of Australia. So it used to be the Ledger Awards. Um, and they're Australia's premier comic uh, award um, run out of um, uh, WA, I think, from memory, um, by... Uh, and his name's going to escape me right now. Sorry? Bruce Mutag is... Um, yes. Yes. Um, thank you. Uh, so congratulations on, on that. Um, what does that mean, uh, that win? Well, first off, um, why, why do you feel that was, was given to you? Um, like, what were you doing that um, made that, is making you so important to the, to the industry? Um, and what did it? What did the win, win mean to you, both um, individually and as a company? Um, I guess, yeah, being relatively inexperienced in publishing, we're still trying to, we're still kind of trying to suss out, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, what, what, how that actually translates in into the attention you get and the sales you get and the, yeah, um, how you're viewed in the future. So yeah, we, we're, yeah, we're still seeing how that is um works out um uh, of course yeah we're, we're really honored to get it we're yeah we're really happy to get it i think um um yeah i mean i guess there's a relatively small comics industry in australia so um yeah i guess we 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 stood out for that reason but yeah um not sure what yeah what the what brought us to their attention exactly but yeah we we're very pleased with that I mean, I think it's it like, yeah, it just speaks to maybe the lack of, um, I, forget, I forget what the ledger sort of wording is, like the, I mean, the um, Silver Ledger, but it's like community-based comics, right. so, something like that. And um, and that's sort of how we think about Glom. Um, like I said earlier, you know, it's, it's a, you know, we're not like a commercial publisher exactly. We're mm -hmm. um, more about building a scene and supporting a scene. Um, and so I, th I think that's why, because there's just not a whole lot of initiatives like that at the moment. And one thing we were talking about, um, we talk about sort of frequently is that, um, you know, that maybe this award or, um, you know, like, the more the more that people can be encouraged to like we would love to see other micro presses like us um, emerge across Australia. Um, like you know there's no competition here like I think at the level that we're at. Um, we would just we would love to see other presses doing the same thing and like if this award goes any way to like the existence of the award itself, you know, goes any way to like facilitating or, or um, making people think about doing something um you know like this or getting into publishing comics like that is i think um i i would say it would be one of the bigger benefits of it well from what i've seen of your work um i think saying that you got it because there wasn't a lot of competition out there is is definitely selling yourselves very short um very well deserved award yeah. um and uh what you said about just then about um, hoping to see more micro presses around Australia, um, what 
What does a thriving Australian comics industry look like to you? Um, across Australia, micro presses, major publishers um, being being based here, um, and how do we get there? I think more people making comics is maybe just as the base probably needs to have like you know there are definitely cartoonists around Australia, but it's still it's still a relatively small pool of people. Um, so the more people that are like reading comics, getting into it having maybe the same experience that Michael and I had of discovering that um, the storytelling potentials um, totally unlimited um, like that if that could expand and grow I think that the that that would help um, a lot have a lot of knock-on effects in terms of um, uh, getting getting people into publishing comics um, you know like existing publishers thinking more about um, publishing comics and hopefully we can also have a um, an impact in that area, like if we could um, get, you know, like I said, I was talking about Rachel Lyon getting that deal with Drawn and Quarterly, you know, there's still a, um, a publisher based in another country in Canada. Um, it would be great if um, publishers here were, were getting more into um, supporting um, comics or, or even if some homegrown larger publishers could emerge um, to publish, you know, um, I, don't, I don't want to call them graphic novels, but book, book versions, you know bigger, bigger books. Um, I think that would, that would be what I'd like to see. I don't, yeah, I don't quite know how we get there, except that I think we need more, more people um, reading and, and making comics, really. So um, that's, that's bringing us towards the end of um, the, the questions I had for you. Um, but before we go, um, what from each of you, what are, we ask this to all our um, people who we have in our chats, um, three comics or graphic novels um, that you've enjoyed recently and that you would encourage others to check out? Um, yeah, I've got my props ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I had a few uh, want to shout out. This is uh, Grip by Lali Vestvind. Um, this is she's an American cartoonist who's um, been putting stuff out for a decade or so. Um, and this was put out by another Rizograph Press um, called Perfectly Acceptable Press um, out of Chicago. Um, and yeah, it's just a fantastic. Uh, it's very unique book. It's really like a wordless story. Um, that has to do um, just with actions and a lot with labor. So it's a very um, uh, exploring the potential uh, of, of depicting movement in comics, but also like um, taking that to, a, to a, a kind of deeper meaning about what labor is, uh, particularly women's labor. But yeah, so I really like that book. Um, we also got, I just finished, um, this Japanese graphic graphic novel called Otherworld Barbara by um, Mato Hajio. Um, she's a veteran manga artist, like started really pioneered stuff in the late 60s and 70s. And this is a later period of work, which is like a surreal uh, sci-fi kind of epic with some sort of soap opery like overtones. 
that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I really liked the, yeah, the scope of Japanese comics. And this was really, yeah, something that was really engaging to get really got stuck into. Uh, and the last one I thought I mentioned would be um, Conditions on the Ground by Kevin Hoyman. Um, he's an artist that's really prolific, hasn't been published that much, like Floating World Comics put this out. They're a comic book shop and small publisher in Portland. Um, it's got a very Pacific Northwest feel, all very like organic looking um, and kind of loose and uh, yeah, uh, just weird and funny. Um, yeah, I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah, it's a really good collection, I thought. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I thought these are borrowed from Mark actually, but I got the first two editions of Sunday by um, Olivier Schrauen. And this comes from um, also a Rizzo Press um, Colorama in Berlin. Um, and I just think that Olivier's work right now is probably, he had a big um, book come out a few years ago called Arsene Schrauen. Um, and that was probably, I, I think that's the best um, comics work that's come out probably in the last like five, 10 years. Um, and his just, his style is great. His storytelling is really great. Um, and these, so these are like um, a serialized, there's a third one that's just come out, but um, haven't ordered it yet. Um, just the problem with loving these, like, as Michael said earlier, there are all these, there are all these like risograph outposts around the world, but it's like, really got to pull together, like wait until they put out a few things and like we order them together because <laughs> the shipping is um, insane. But um, I would look at his work or any anything from Colorama. Um, they have a lot of great artists that they work with. Um, I got this book today. <laughs> I don't know if I can plug a book I've only just started reading, but um, I've been looking forward to it for a long time um, called Discipline by Dash Shaw. Um, He's a really prolific um, American comics artist. Um, I like his work's always really experimental. Um, like no book is kind of too much like his last book. Um, he's also an animator. He just put out um, a movie that's um, kind of making the rounds. Uh, completely blanking on the name of it. Um, but um, this is a really this is like a World War or sorry Civil War era. Um, kind of diaristic, um, sort of very loose kind of storytelling. I just get little diary entries of the soldier throughout, um, but it's it's really about these like kind of beautiful disconnected drawings. Um, I'm getting pretty into it so far. Um, the third book, I think we've loaned to somebody, so I don't have it on hand, um, but Saftar Ahmed's um, Still Alive, which came out, um, was published by 12 Panel Press, um, which is also based in Melbourne, um, came out, I think, at the beginning of this year. Um, and it's kind of about, like, big picture about the Australian detention system, like the history of it, how it came to be the way it is, um, and then its impact and inhumanity um, based on um, personal relationships that Saftar has and has built with refugees through um, Refugee Art Project, which he runs, which is like, you know, used to be just him going to um, places like Villawood Detention Center and sitting down um, with people and, and drawing with them and talking to them, um, people who are detained um, and relationships with them outside of that as well. And um, it's a really great 
um, great book and, and really like explores the 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 this this unwieldy thing this detention center um i mean the, the way that that has um developed in australia um, and um it sort of it's a great overview of the whole system a system that's kind of can be sort of abstract i think for a lot of people well there's some great options there um and um uh my favorite thought that um with the exception of still alive uh sorry uh Yes, still alive. From what I was going to say, staying alive, but that's the Bee Gees. Um, still alive um, by Seftar Ahmed. I've read the others will all be new, although um, a couple of the the creators I was I had heard of. So, yeah, looking forward to getting my hands on those. Um, thank you very much for um, joining us here. Um, what's if libraries are interested in? Um, getting in contact um what's the best way for them to engage with with glom press probably just send us an email um we'll just glom press at, at gmail um yeah we'd love to hear from libraries talk to uh, librarians um, yeah. and we're easy to find glompress.com if you just want to if they want to go on there first and like check out what we've got available so yeah um, that's fantastic. Thank you very much.